Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Homebound Veteran. I'm Laura. I'm Keith. This is season four, episode eight with Travis and Tommy from the Meat Grinder documentary. So Meat Grinder is a documentary. It's the name of a documentary. And it's based on a premise that is somewhat controversial, we'll say. Maybe not even mainstream. The premise is something that all of us, regardless of where we believe, should consider. What we're talking about, what we're beating around the bush about here, is the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan specifically. But even more in general is how we, the general public and population of the United States of America, deploy and employ our troops around the globe. The wisdom and the processes that goes into the decision making. And the ultimate consequences that are inevitable with engaging forces in conflict. I say buckle up (laughs) and get ready for a great episode with Tommy and Travis. Yeah, lean into this subject and wrestle with the questions that come up within you as you listen. We would love for you guys to each to share your your stories, your your journey of how you came to serve in the military. And whoever wants to start, you guys can arm wrestle for it virtually. Travis, go ahead. (laughs) Um, I uh, was enlisted out of high school. I think um, in high school I was, uh, we talked about this a little last time, but um, everyone kind of laughs about the idealistic, uh, idealistic folks that, you know, join, you know, not joining for, you know, any other particular reason than just, you know, really kind of want to, you know, kill the bad guys and help the good guys and win all the medals and all that. And so I joined right out of high school. Um, and, uh, I was in the 101st, got assigned 101st, uh, the 502nd infantry and, uh, deployed to Iraq a couple of times. Um, and, um, I think the, the first deployment, we can get more into it, but it, it you know, I, I was, open to maybe a career, um, before then, but it really kind of uh, soured me, I would say. Um, so was kind of partially stop loss for the second one. And then, um, and then got out, um, and, uh, uh, was really lucky. Um, very lucky used the GI bill. Massachusetts had a great match program where they actually just plug the holes in the GI bill. So if you're missing any semesters, wow. they do. UMass Boston had a great, great veterans program, no delay in processing and um, then me and Tommy obviously ended up working together at home base. And, um, then I, uh, made it out to, uh, Colorado for law school and I'm up here now working as a public defender in Northern Colorado. Very impressive, um, line of service. And now you're, uh, in the public defender's office, which is powerful. Very cool. I, uh, I, I love it. I mean, I love the work, but I, you know, was, was real lucky. Had a lot of help along the way. <clears throat> Tommy, how about you? Yeah. So, um, Thanks, Travis. Uh, thank you both for having me, and uh, and Travis and I, and, and hearing about the Meat Grinder project. Um, my name is Tommy Furlong. Um, I'm originally from Boston, in case you can't tell from the accent. Um, but uh, grew up in a military family. My father was a Vietnam veteran. Um, you know, saw the struggles growing up. That uh, you know the the relationships there between you know my parents and um, you know how that reflected with the children. And um, but you always have this you know when you do have this kind of tradition, as many 
military service members do. You, you kind of have that urge to serve and at least experience it, see what it's all about. Um, 9-11 happened when I was a high, senior in high school. So um, when I left uh, high school, it was very much, um, you know, thinking about joining the military. Uh, my brother was at Norwich. He was a year ahead of me. So uh, he decided to make the military career. I still in right now, 16 years. I think he's a reserve at this point. Um, so it was on my mind. Uh, my father kind of told me, hey, if you want to go in, he was enlisted. He's, why, don't you, why don't you go to school first? Try the officer out. They'll always need good leadership. Uh, so I actually kind of wanted different route. Uh, went to Berkeley College of Music, uh, got my degree in songwriting there. Uh, always kind of played growing up. It's always been an outlet for me. Um, immediately after graduating, uh, commissioned as an infantry officer in the Marine Corps. Um, so did four years uh, there, did a deployment to Marja, uh, Afghanistan in 2010, uh, where as a rifle platoon commander, weapons platoon commander, and also a forward observer. Uh, did a lot of, uh, you know, um, close air support, things like that, um, was able to go to JTAC school, things like that. So uh, definitely, um, you know, uh, got a lot of great experiences out of it. Uh, left in 2011, um, you know, worked with Travis at home base, um, did four years there. And then, uh, you know, did a transition to Northeastern University. Uh, we're now uh, finishing up a graduate degree um, and working as uh, an HR manager there, but really just helping students, um, you know, transition from school into the career force, career development, professional development, things like that. Uh, so uh, definitely loving that job. It's awesome. And, and thanks for sharing, Tommy. I, what you guys both mentioned home base. Can you share what home base is? Yeah, sure. So uh, Homebase is a local nonprofit um, based out of Boston. It's a partnership between uh, Massachusetts General Hospital and the Red Sox Foundation. Um, so this uh, initially was funded through uh, the Red Sox Foundation. Uh, they have a few different uh, wings that you know are very well known, like the Jimmy Fund, um, Red Sox Scholars, things like that. Um, so this was one of their wings there. Um, funded it with the seed money in 2007. And really the mission was to uh, you know, address the, uh, you know, the invisible wounds of war, post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, you know, a number of injuries, uh, the majority of injuries of, you know, veterans coming home from Iraq and Afghanistan are dealing with these injuries. Uh, so uh, how uh, how can we assist, you know, uh, how can we assist, you know, the current VA system uh, with providing some support? So really the, the idea was, okay, connect these veterans that may not have insurance, may not have a way of paying for this, this care and provide them with access to, you know, some of the best doctors, you know, in America at Massachusetts General Hospital. Uh, dealing with those issues, traumatic brain injury, uh, things like that. What, what made the program unique was, you know, you did need insurance and the whole family could actually uh, receive mm -hmm. treatment. So there were, um, you know, family groups, there groups, there were spousal groups, uh, there was education, training on these, uh, these, the kinds of issues that's, that show up, the real, the relationship issues, uh, things like that. Um, so really learned a lot uh, about, you know, just the transition process, the different perspectives, uh, you know, how children dealt with it, how, how you know, husbands and wives dealt, dealt with it um, and the relationships there. So it's, it was a great program. Uh, it's still going strong now. They, they have this whole other program than what, than what it was when we uh, were there, um, but they're thriving and they're doing a great job. Yeah, very cool. Thanks for sharing that with us. I know Travis yeah. uh, talked with that, talked with us about that in our in our pre-interview call, and um, it's it's 
wonderful, obviously, to understand more about public-private partnerships, how they right. benefit, uh, you know, our, our veterans, how how actually the civilian community is does care for our veterans and and for their well-being. Um, and uh, and I think it's it's a great bridge also for veterans because there are tons of organizations out there, right, that are out there to assist veterans. And it's wonderful that that they can involve veterans in that process. So thank right. you so much for for sharing that. Yeah, for sure. Now, people want to support veterans, right? They mm. they want to. It's just how how do we support them? Right? Yeah. What's the best way we can? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So what's the story about actually how you two met? That was Travis's boss. Uh, you know, it was a real. Yeah. You, <laughs> so you were. So you hired Travis, or? Yeah, uh, he, I did. Yeah. So <laughs> he, he asked me. He asked me in the interview. Uh, I, you know, I was like, okay, this interview's not going so bad. And then there's Tommy. Do you see yourself in five years? Oh. <laughs> so, do I say I have a job? <laughs> I've learned a lot about HR since that question. Yeah. <laughs> It is, it is a tricky question. So, how did yeah. you answer, Travis? You say I see myself working here. I, I, I think I, I think I uh, sp- uh, spun out some bullshit about how, uh, maybe doing a great job for you, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So, how long did you guys, uh, you two, work together? Uh, I think for about two years, roughly two, two yeah. years. Okay. Uh, I was there because right. I got there like a year after Tommy, and then um, when I left, Tommy was there for. Uh, close to a year after something like that. Got it. Um, yeah, we worked together for about a couple of years. Um, but it was, um, um, the, we were both on the veteran outreach team. And I think, um, you know, Tommy and I, you know, obviously both have a lot of respect for the program, amazing folks, doctors. But one of the things the program realized pretty early on was they, they needed, you know, vets uh, to talk to other vets and be on the care team. And I think, right. uh, you know, we, we bonded over that. And, I, you know, I, you know, I, we, you know, um, I think we both had an attitude that, you know, we were going to say what was on our mind and we were going to uh, do, try to do what we thought was right by the veterans. Um, if it didn't always jive with the, with the leadership, with the hospital leadership, with the Red Sox leadership, so, so be it. I think, uh, I think that was a pretty significant bond between us. Hmm. Uh, and so um, you now project two are coming together. Um, and how, how did, how did your relationship sort of bring this, um, documentary, uh, and project as you called it earlier, Thomas, um, to the fruition so that I imagine that early meeting led to this purpose. So talk about how yeah. bridge the gap in time for us. We had, uh, Tommy, um, we, we had talked about it. We'd always kind of just like, what if we, you know, what if we made, you know, this kind of documentary, how could we do that? And then it, just so happened uh, that Katie, who, who I know is a retired uh, filmmaker and amazing uh, and talented. And so it was kind of like uh, the perfect storm because, you know, me and Tommy had this idea, but you know, the first thing about making uh, movies and have learned how insanely complicated and difficult. Right. Um, yeah, but, uh, and, and Katie was, uh, you know, that was her and that was what she was doing for work and she was retiring. And so we were in a situation where she's like, I want to take this on full time. And we kind of had came together at meeting of the minds and, um, you know, we'll talk more about this, but the pandemic obviously really put a dent in our filming. We, we had some difficulty early on, you know, raising money and getting vets, but, you know, we did a huge fundraising campaign and, you know, we got some, some social media, some press, we got tons of veterans coming in. We were on schedule to interview all these veterans. And obviously we'll do that again when it, when it stops, but, um, we had been, we had been cranking away. So. Yeah. 
And initially, we when we were working together too, it was um, we were meeting so many veterans, we we're meeting so many people, hearing all of these different stories. You know, there are a lot of um, there was a very uh, set perspective that you were supposed to have on PTSD, set set of rules what you can can't talk about, um, how to approach veterans, and you know what they're feeling. And really, what Travis and I wanted to do was kind of you know really talk about these veterans, what they're experiencing, what their stories are. It's not always clean. It's not, you know, not every veteran is a special forces soldier. You know, it makes up about 2% of the military, but it's all you hear about. Um, so you don't hear a lot of these other stories because, you know, they're tough. They're not, you know, a lot of times they may not be inspirational or um, it's just very hard to, well, how do you promote this? How do we tell these stories? How can we talk about, you know, these veterans and their perspectives on things and sort of break the mold and let people know, hey, there's some individualism here. Like when you look at the demographics in the military, it's incredibly diverse, right? It's a microcosm of what the American population looks like. Uh, so let's, let's talk about these issues. Issues. Let's really talk about suicide. Let's talk about PTSD. Let's talk about moral injury. Um, and instead of just saying, you know, thank you for your service and uh, just throwing money at it because it is very well funded, right? Um, you know, the military is probably one of the top funded organizations and right underneath that is Veterans Affairs. Um, so, um, you know, money isn't the issue. It's, you know, what is the issue? Why are we having so many suicides? Um, what does that look like and, and what's causing that? And when you really break it down, you start to realize, well, you know, a lot of these puzzle pieces aren't quite going together. So if they're not, then how can we tackle this issue? And I think one of the big things Travis and I realized, well, we need to start being a lot smarter about what wars we go into, what are going to be the repercussions of it. You know, the people involved, these are people. These are, you know, Americans that have lives and, you know, they have families and, um, you know, they're important, they matter. Uh, so just, you know, they're not disposable troops. So that's mm. basically what, you know, what our message is. We want to tell their stories. Uh, we want to make it uh, as approachable as possible, uh, but we want to be as transparent as possible as well. And I think that's one of the major issues yeah. that we're running into. Just to, to add on to that too, I mean, I, want, I think one thing me and Tommy found and talked about was, you know, we met a lot of vets, you know, not only in the program, coming into the program, getting mental health care, but also vets we know. And plenty of vets, right, talk to us about, you know, um, well, you know, I feel like the deployment went a lot different. I'm not sure I believe in it. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with what I did. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with what me and my friend sacrificed. And I think that, you know, what was the gap, what me and Tommy noticed was missing is, you know, it might be well-intentioned, but the reality is that a lot of veterans programs and a lot of people and our culture says, you know, thank you for your service. You're a hero. Uh, what you sacrifice is so that, you know, for my freedom. And where is the avenue for a veteran to say, I don't feel that way. And maybe uh, you'd like to hear uh, some things that, you know, don't, don't jive with that. Right. And, and I think that, um, you know, certainly that was my experience. Um, and I've met a lot of other vets that felt that way too, where it, in a way it can almost exacerbate mental health care issues. If veterans are being told you're a hero, put you up on the pedestal, never mind um, how they feel about it. Right. Um, and, and unfortunately, there there are, you know, Tommy and I talk about this too, right? I mean, I, I'm sure you you both can appreciate this. There are a ton, a ton of well-meaning, amazing people looking to support vets. But the veteran support industry has a dark side too. And there are a lot of people who, when push comes to shove, if it's a difference between making more money and growing, 
and micro targeting and hitting the vets with the highest need, you know, even if it, even if that involves, you know, a message that doesn't jive a lot of people, they're going to go with option one. And that's unfortunate. And I think that was always something that was really concerning Tommy and me. And the number one important thing is letting vets tell their story, no matter what period. Full right. Yeah. At one point in the, in the first deployment, you know, you went there thinking, man, I'm going to go make a difference. And then that changed for you. And I'm curious what changed and, and, and then Tommy, I don't know if you had a similar experience, but I'd love to hear. And how? Yeah. 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 So I joined in 2004 and then we deployed a second half of 2005. So I think that was right around the time where, you know, and this is during this surge that started to, everyone's realizing, well, we're not going to be greeted as liberators after all, we're going to be here for a while. So I, I don't think we were under any illusions about that, but, um, that deployment, that experience, um, really kind of drove home for me a few themes and, you know, I, I always say, you know, I mean, Tommy talk about this too. Everybody's experience in the military is different. There's no question I could have been on a different deployment with a different unit and I might have a different opinion, but, but I think that, um, I think this is not an uncommon one. Right. And, and so that is, so we go there and we're told by, you know, the officers, the higher, higher ups, you know, here's our PowerPoint, here's our purpose. You know, we're going to build a water treatment plant. We're going to kill the insurgents. We're going to provide security so that there can be a democracy. Well, the problem is when you, uh, you know, nighttime air assault uh, any random property or home and kill the farm animals and, you know, shoot or drag away all the men in the building because some neighbor said to some intel specialist that this guy's an insurgent. And when you extrapolate that and you do that, um, you are, and we know this now, you are not, you're doing the opposite of what you should be doing in a counterinsurgency. And doing that, I mean, you know, doing these nighttime raids where we're told, yeah, there's definitely an insurgent. You go and you trample the farm field, you know, thank God someone doesn't get hurt or killed, you know, on either side. And for what? And then you send them off, uh, you know, to the black hole and for what? And, you know, month nine, month 10, having guys, you know, killed, blown up um, and say, okay, if so, if they're planting IEDs in month 10, if the command wire goes into the village's house, how it, how are we how are they on our side how are we doing what we need to do for them how are we winning there are a couple of moments of deployment that that really stick out to me i mean one is um we were at our patrol base one time and there uh, you know it's like it was like a mirage we're seeing like this also there's a huge crowd of people who are holding up a sign in arabic like, what is that what is that we're on the roof with the machine guns and it was the village it was the population protesting uh, our heavy-handed tactics, right? And it, it was amazing to me. And the sergeant next to me is like, man, just give me a reason to mow you all down, you know? And at that moment, I'm just thinking like, in a sense, right? I don't I don't blame him, in a sense, right? Because we'd all been blown up in the whole time and none of us want to be there. But it's like, why are we here? What are we doing? Is it worth it? And when I look back and you're like, okay, there's certain facts you hard to argue with that more civilians have died since we invaded than ever died under Saddam. It literally broke the region, birthed ISIS. You know, it it gets to a point, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it more, where it is, I think, um, not, it's insulting to veterans to placate and to say, like, thanks for, you know, if we had never gone there, if we had never gone to Iraq, is the world, the, the less people die, is the world, you know, a less safe place. I mean, so I think that, and then also, also, the last thing I would just say on that is just seeing that, so many of the people I served with come from the margins of society. 
And even though we're told that they all join up for patriotic reasons because they love America, the reality is that most of them, in my experience, join up because they have no other options, because they can't afford college, because they're from completely broken homes and, and family lives, a situation that makes it all the way worse, reintegrating on the back end. Um, and they literally need a roof over their head and food, and it's a default. And, and, and you know, I, I think part of the reason why, you know, we don't allow a national service program to pass where people could literally, you know, build things or join the Peace Corps for free colleges because the military knows damn well that the recruitment's going to plummet for that. So all those things and more to me really made me realize I don't think this is uh, what I kind of thought it was. Travis, and how did you decide closer i have to get closer <laughs> i never follow these rules um it was hard for him <laughs> being in the military having a wife that hard had a hard time following rules that didn't work i don't like following rules either i mean i think if, any, if anything the military made me about the most anti-authoritarian person you can imagine <laughs> public defender now come on i know right right yeah. i love it i love it uh so when did you decide that you needed to get out of the military. And and then if you could also answer the question of how was that transition for you? Um, how did you heal? Yeah. What, what did you try to do and what worked and what didn't work? How'd you heal? So I, so I imagine some people might say, well, you know, if you didn't want a tough deployment, you know what, you couldn't hack it. And I, I genuinely don't think it was that, right? I mean, um, I didn't quit. Most people didn't quit. And it, it wasn't that I was like, this is too hard. I mean, it was hard, no question. Um, but to me, it was more on that deployment being like, if I'm being told A, B, and C, if I'm being told you guys are away from your families for a year and getting blown up and killed for this reason, and I've got two eyes and two ears, and I know that that's bullshit, that to me is not okay. And it was funny it was when I was in, I'm still friends like I was in with, and it was almost this unspoken thing. Some Some folks... They just couldn't handle that. They could. They were just like, "That's I. That bothers me so much that I can't be here." But a lot of guys were like, "I can deal with that." But the funny thing is, we all agreed that it was bullshit. I don't think there was a guy. There was like two guys, you know, in the company that are like, "God damn it, we're here to help these people and we're doing it." And everyone's like, "Look at this guy. Like he actually thinks that." You know what I mean? So everybody was on that same page. The difference was, can you can you deal with it? Or can you not deal with it? And a lot of guys are like, look, you know, I, I, I get it. I'm on the same page as you, but it doesn't bother me as much as you. Why do you let it bother you so much? So I think that moment where I realized um, that our lives and the, and the lives of the people there um, were not worth it. And, you know, we're being told something. The sacrifice is too great uh, because it's not just our bodies and our minds, right? Our families, our communities, it ripples out. Um, so that was just kind of, you know, totally unacceptable for me. And just seeing how, you know, after a year there, we somehow can't fix a water treatment plant. We're still fighting the same people and they hate us just as much. So my transition, you know, was, was not as bad as some, nothing to do with me or my strength or anything like that. It was honestly just pure luck, right? In my experience, one of the huge predictive factors is what you're going back into. Not only where you come from, what you're going back into. You're, if you're going back into any kind of stable family situation, I, I remember my I, when I got out, <clears throat> I was like 22, 23, and I lived with my mom for a few months before I moved in uh, to uh, to Quincy in Massachusetts to go to school. 
And when I was with my mom, you know, I'd come and go all hours of the night, you know, drinking a lot. And I think her attitude was, if this gets to a point where I need to do something, I'm going to do something, but I'm not going to push him right now. You can sleep, no questions asked. Having that and having a family that was going to support you no matter what was huge. I remember, uh, I, you know, being from Massachusetts and then being on that deployment pretty much made me like the worst, most aggressive driver you could possibly imagine. For time, <laughs> appreciate this. And I remember one time, it was like, I think it was like a year after I got back in Boston. A year after I got back, I think I like was driving with my brother and my cousin, almost got in an accident. And they were so scared to talk to me, but they literally like tried to take me aside and be like, we're kind of worried about you just driving crazy, man. And it, that was one of the things that kind of hit me too. In college, uh, when I went to the University of Massachusetts, I had a professor, a guy named Paul Atwood, um, who was a Vietnam era Marine, who was a professor of uh, history and American studies, and who's a, a serious uh, critic of our military policy and kind of our lifetime wars and took his, some of his classes at UMass. And that was huge for me to um, join in, uh, you know, Veterans for Peace groups, allowing me to channel a lot of what I was feeling, anger and the rage into, you know, more productive stuff. Um, but that and 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 the, the the university and how amazing people were there and the programs and my family that is luck that could have been the difference between why I was someone um, you know who was doing all right versus someone who's picking up a criminal charge or overdosing or dropping out of school. I mean, literally, that can make all the difference. So I was very very lucky in that regard. <laughs> Thomas, same question: When did you decide um, that that it was? your exit was soon um, from the military. And then how did you heal? What was your path um, of transition like? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there were some very obvious uh, things that, you know, started to come to me that where, you know, things just weren't really making sense. And then there were other things that were more nuanced and, you know, um, just really made you question. Um, but when I left, it was 2011, which there was a little bit of downsizing happening anyway. Uh, so there were very few billets. Um, I had an opportunity to kind of go active reserve. I just realized it was, you know, this maybe wasn't for me. Time to move on. Uh, did have a tough deployment. Um, you know, lost a couple of Marines and, you know, had to run a battalion memorial service when I got home, uh, which was just uh, very difficult. And I uh, just really didn't want to do that again. But when you look at like, you know, what you were prepared for, for what the, the situation actually is and was, um, you realize that, you know, really nothing is, is making sense here. They were very skeptical when we first came in. They thought we were Russian. Uh, you realize that, you know, the first sergeant with the Afghan army counterparts that you partnered with was trained by U.S. forces in the 80s on Stinger missiles. You're like, oh, we were here 40 years ago. That's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, what? Um, so we also had this other situation. It was a real light bulb moment for me. It's in the Migrander documentary uh, that, uh, you know, was patrolling with uh, with the squad that were taking fire uh, in a in a field there was a tree line and then another field in a tree line and there was a um farmer out there and we realized okay maybe this guy's spotting uh, for them calling in our position uh, they're firing at us um so i'm like let's let's bound up to him um see what he's see what he's doing i want to know where's his weapon where's his you know uh, his walkie-talkie uh, or whatever he's, he's speaking into is his radio um so we finally get up there uh, you know dodging bullets and uh you know, firing dies down, uh, you know, the farmer's just standing there and he has a shovel uh, kind of laying in the field. And I asked my interpreter, I said, you know, I want to know what 
this guy's deal is, well, what's happening here? And he looked at the interpreter and goes, uh, says something, and interpreter looks at me and he goes, sir, he is high. And I said, okay. Um, well, of course he is. He's standing in, <laughs> in, in a field, field of heroin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, this is his battle. life, right. Yeah, in the middle of a gun battle. And he's digging, digging, you know, to try to make what he can for his family right now. Like, he mm. may be spotting, but, like, this is his life. Um, mm. So it was situations like that where I was like, yes, like why yeah okay we're spending how much money to be here um you know those puzzle pieces really started to fall together then uh, you know start realizing you know a lot of veterans feel this way and and you know it's just the the voice is sort of quelled because it's considered or perceived anti-american or anti-troop you know in reality when you look at it it's like well if we really shed light on a lot of these issues, we realize that that's not the case, right? Um, 40% of suicide uh, veterans, uh, veterans who commit suicide have not deployed to a combat zone, right? They're not, wow. it's, you know, PTSD and uh, is maybe a maybe a factor, but uh, you, you realize that a lot of that it has to do with you know uh, any sort of uh, you know trauma that they they experienced prior to joining the military. Where now they've joined the military, and now it's compounded that issue. Um, you know, it's, there's just a lot of statistics out there. Okay, okay, we need to really look at how we're going to go about helping veterans. We need to tell these these stories that aren't being told. Uh, really shed light on this. Um, just the fact that even with the memorial service that I ran, um, we, we had a Marine that committed suicide on deployment, and he w would was not included in the battalion memorial service you know come down from the battalion commander like he will not be included he's not one of us right he's not one of the you know this who knows what happened i'm not really quite sure but it's probably suffering here on deployment and who knows what was happening back home and now he felt like he needed to end his life like this is something we need to talk about this is something we not you know we don't need to sweep under the rug and that's essentially what we were doing and it was coming down from the people who you looked up to and your supervisors and you know people who should have had clearer heads than you know a 25 year old platoon commander who's in charge of 40 people in some area of the world that you know we need to be to you know to save our freedom so um it was it really started to you know when we talked about it realized a lot of people feel this way uh, let's talk about this and let's really you know really expose it so sorry very long answer there yeah, good <laughs> thank you yeah no, um so was that the impetus then for for meat grinder is that how that this project got started absolutely yeah we started talking to veterans we met through our veteran outreach team and um you know you develop relationships with them and you hear their story and you know um you get to know them and their families and the struggles um and it just wasn't being told you know we don't hear about the domestic violence or uh dui rate or um just those rate of motorcycle death just because of, okay, well, now I need a little bit of adrenaline, you know, and I get back from deployment. So there's a lot of things that need to be addressed here. And we were talking about it before too, just to add on, you know, we felt like, look, I mean, you got, um, you've got, you know, plenty, you know, written about media on, um, you know, combat and combat vets, you know, the fighting season, then there's plenty of, of that out there. And you've got, uh, you know, more kind of political type documentaries, you know, like Body of War, that kind of thing. We weren't aware of anyone that kind of bridged it to. And I think one of the things that we're really proud of with yeah. this project is, you know, people can say, oh, look at that vet um, who didn't deploy, um, who was a conscientious objector, objector, you know, now, um, you know, you know, they're 
anti-war, blah, blah. And, you know, I respect that. That's fine. But people can say, well, what do they know? They weren't there. It is pretty hard to argue with or to turn off uh, your, you know, your ears and your eyes to the fact that in this film, we have and are going to have many combat veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan who are going to be telling uh, their stories, in part, uh, their stories about exactly what they experienced over there. And I would like to see someone try to say um, to uh, one of our uh, interviewees is Alan Pitts, a uh, pretty you know, famous guy now of Common Defense, and he tells a story, and this is on our, our website in our multimedia clip, of um, just this horrific uh, experience you know, where he was uh, left behind and how angry and upset he was at his chain of command. And again, people don't realize that that happens, and people don't think about that. And I want to see someone try to tell him, uh, oh, oh, no, you were just, uh, you know, malinger or something like that. I don't think so. I mean, you know, so I think that that is part of what is so powerful about this film is you have combat veterans saying, you know, and everybody's experience, you know, is different. I mean, when Tommy and me were at home base, uh, we would host uh, Medal of Honor winners for, you know, charity events. Just obviously, right, we all know, you know, insane stories of selflessness. Um, that is one experience. But for a lot of veterans experience, it could have been. Um, you know, a few months into deployment, boom, my legs are blown off. Or a few months into deployment, uh, oops, I accidentally kill a civilian. Now I'm fucked for life. And that is not what the culture uh, wants to talk about. It's not what the defense industry wants to talk about. It's not what Hollywood wants to show um, because it's not clean. It's not simple. It doesn't fit. And people don't like it and it makes them uncomfortable. But you know what? If that's the reality for a lot of veterans, um, it's important that that story be told. I think that I think that we, you know, both feel that way. Yeah. It's it's fascinating. Lauren and I interviewed a gentleman who was it was a highly decorated uh, soldier um, from Vietnam and wounded. He was actually wounded twice. Uh, once he recovered um, in Vietnam and went back to the battle to the front, and uh, and then the second injury sent him home. And you know he was spit on. He was criticized in, when he went to uh, back to college. Um, and it was a very challenging environment, right? To be a service member. And now it's, it's almost flipped, right? Like it's flipped. It's flipped. Yes. And it's fascinating. I wonder what that does to, to both sides, to those who serve and to those who are receiving the the service member as they come back. Uh, What, what's your guys thoughts on that or or what have you seen so far? Yeah. Um, Travis, you don't mind if I take this? Yeah, so yeah, I was no, going right. to say that. I mean, even in... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I, knew I have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's funny. Like, in Boston, you know, the state, uh, you know, Massachusetts in general, there's a lot of social services available. Um, there are hundreds of nonprofits, and all of them want to help. All of them want to do good work. Uh, there's almost too many, right? It, might, it muddies the waters a bit. Um, so uh, you, you hear things from other service members, word of mouth, what works, what doesn't work. Um, but the, the reality is it's almost a facade for actually what's what's really happening, which is we're not talking about it. We're, we're not. We Well, oh, well we have a, um, Andrew Basevich has a great, um, his great book. There's a, there's a sort of a, a prologue to a, uh, to one of the books he wrote rights and it's um about um you know supporting the wounded warrior project a day you know 
the at Fenway Park and how every you know Bud Light you drink tonight is going to support the service members and everybody thinks they're doing their part. They're drinking to the troops, and the reality is this is a marketing event. Um, and those troops that uh, that you know at this point, uh, you know, you start to wonder, okay, well, what what's going on with this money? What are we actually doing with it? And no one really seems to know. Um, there's a lot of different. Uh, I mean, I like a lot of the organic and the and the um, the autonomous organizations that are that are starting to sprout up and and offer these different opportunities. Um, you know, outdoor a- activities, uh, holistic activities that are, that are provided to the entire family, and you know, actually address a lot of the issues that that these people are having and these veterans are having family issues, marital issues. Um, you know, how do identify stress, deal with it, mindfulness, um, you know, and it's going to be different for every veteran. So when you start to create these little pockets in different areas where people feel connected, um, a lot of times that's, uh, we think that, you know, that that can be the answer. Uh, so the more, the better, it's just the direction to the services. How do we do that? Um, you know, even when you look at like the suicide rate, things like that, or let's connect with those folks. But uh, 70% of, you know, veterans who commit suicide are not connected to the VA. So why are they not connected? How do you connect them? Is there a, a gender or, a, um, you know, just a, a demographic difference as far as like age, you know, and, and the difference between wars. Um, so we want to look at all that. We want to explore it. We want folks to talk about that, to tell their stories. Um, we mentioned that this is not this is not our story. This is we're just stories within the larger story of what people experience when they deploy and how they transition back. Um, and you know the the reality is is it's not it's not always easy. And there's a lot of bad stories that come out of that, um, but a lot of growth as well. So. Um, so the question is, how do we how do we market that? Uh, how do we get the word out there? You know, obviously we appreciate you all having on our podcast, yeah, um, yeah. but it's a tough message. It's a tough message. People want to feel inspired. So, um, you know, but education can be tough sometimes, and uh, it's it's a tough it's a tough pill for a lot of us, including myself. Yeah. You know, I, I don't I don't like to to think of my service as. Um, you know, it's, it didn't matter, or um, I'm not trying to invalidate it at all. And that's certainly one not what Travis and I are trying to do. Here. Yeah. And to, and to add on to, uh, just real, sorry, Laura, uh, just to add on to it, Keith, you know, I, one of the other things I think it, it does, right, is number one, this pendulum shift where we've gone all the way over to, you know, oh my God, you know, worship everyone that ever served, right? But what does is it lets people off the hook, right? Um, me and Tommy always used to joke about how it is that if everyone loves the military so much, they're so ignorant that they can't tell the difference between someone that's in JROTC and some Navy SEAL that's had 10, 20 deployments. And literally, they can't tell the difference and they don't care about the difference. And as long as you know they get seen supporting that person, um, you know, that's fine. We'd be at countless events at Fenway, right, where they honor a service member, which is great. I don't, I'm not saying don't do that. But the problem is that everyone there seemed to think they were like a combat veteran. And oftentimes it's, it's a, you know, someone that hasn't deployed again, which is fine. But the point is that people are so ignorant about it. It allows people to feel like they've done their part because they've, you know, supported, you know, put the ribbon on the car. And I would say the second thing it also does, and we experience this a lot too, right, is it creates this very dark underbelly of the veteran service organizations, right? 
We all know about the Wounded Warrior Project a few years ago. We knew that was going on long before it hit the New York Times. And all of a sudden, it, be, it comes out that, um, you know, they're staying in five-star resorts. They're overflowing with money. I, we like to tell people when the Wounded Warriors Project first started, you had to have a Purple Heart. Then you had to have a service-connected disability. Then you had to have, you know, danger pay. And down and down. Why? Because they're interested in growing and being huge and continuing all their staff salaries. And they do good things. But the difference is when you become a veterans organization or a person supporting veterans and, and you've lost sight of the fact that what matters is not what makes you comfortable and not what looks good, but what matters is honing in and supporting the veterans. I mean, Tommy mentioned the uh, the suicide stats, right, which is a great a great point, and it does this too. You know, huge awareness, right? Good. Here's the problem: when me and Tommy were at home base, the Defense Department partnered with uh, private healthcare partners to do these meta studies, and it's incredibly complicated, and they don't have a definitive answer. But all the data shows that that um, drug abuse, prior mental health history from joining the military, and romantic breakup can often be greater causes of veteran suicide than actually being exposed to combat, right? And the problem is if you're blowing up, you know, veteran suicide, veteran suicide, that's good. But if you don't explain that to people, we're never going to solve the problem if everybody thinks that- Are you disingenuous with the cause? Exactly. If everybody thinks it's only Audie Murphy who's killing themselves, how do you solve that, right? Right. Doesn't, but that doesn't, then that brings up a whole can of worms. We talk about, well, why are we letting people into the military with severe mental health issues? Why aren't they being cared for on their way out? And so, right. right? So, yeah. So, you guys are taking a very strong and distinct stance, um, if you will, on these things. And I think you've explained it very well that the foundation for the reason is that you want to genuinely support the needs of the veterans and you are so pro-veteran that you essentially are willing to tackle this really tough conversation and underbelly, um, to use your same term, Travis, and that is on behalf of veterans um, and not in contrast to or on the opposite side of, and you do a very good job of, of making that clear. Um, however, <laughs> as you mentioned, there are some who um, that you know would differ or, or have a divergent thought from, from how you've handled this, and I'm sure some people you've reached out to and asked to interview have you know not agreed with you. So, yeah. so um, you know, tell us a little bit about how you've come to be comfortable with this conversation. Yeah, I mean, uh, and you know, Tommy and I talk about this too. I think we both have uh, a lot of folks we served with, a lot of vets. I know that we've just decided not to talk about it, not to talk politics, but there's still a lot of mutual respect there. Um, and and so, one of the things that's extremely important to us with this project is that we not you know, mislead anybody. I mean, we're proud of the fact that we think it's going to speak for itself. We don't need to explicitly say the things we're saying when this is, thing is finished for people to know. They're going to hear all the veterans interviewed and hear them tell their stories and how they feel about it. And it's going to come out clear as day. But there are a lot of vets that feel differently and, and we totally respect that. I mean, I, I can just speak for myself. I have known vets that I serve with. I knew vets uh, in treatment who I genuinely believe in order to hold it together and live and function, they could not, could not handle the thought that what they did had nothing to do with freedom, had nothing to do with keeping us safe, and way more to do for, you know, making money for the defense industry or appeasing some politician. And I respect that and I get that. 
Some are on the opposite end where it's like the only way I can stay sane is if I go all out, you know, trying to talk about that. Um, but, you know, the other thing I would add too, though, right, is part of the project is people think that it's the opposite. People think this is a outlier, you know, those vets are those vets. Pew, the Pew came out with a poll, I don't know if you guys are like a year ago, maybe, almost 70% or 65 or 70 of Iraq and Afghanistan vets say it was not worth it. Hmm. Why, why did that get buried? Why, aren't, why isn't that, you know, what we're all talking about? So to, to answer your questions, it's important to respect that and we do, but I think one of the, one of the reasons we want to do this is because this is way more prevalent, a perspective and a viewpoint among veterans than anyone's willing to admit. What I hear you guys saying it, it... One is that we're like you talked about not letting people off the hook, right? And so by by you know at a Fenway at Fenway Park by saying, "Hey, thanks for your service. Yeah, I'm gonna have a beer for you." That's not helping a veteran transition. That's not helping a veteran who really needs help. And maybe maybe money is going to organizations that that are doing good, and that's that's wonderful. Um, but really, what we need to understand. Is, it's not like the veterans are broken that that everyone is a lost cause and that we have a bunch of people running around that are you know just mentally unstable and and ready to go off at any moment right uh and not to discount people's service like you know i'm like i said i'm finishing 20 years of service and i love that i've been able i've had the opportunity to wear the the american flag on my on my sleeve right for for 20 years and and i it's something that I hold very dear and yet i know there were there were hours, many hours spent in the plane that I was doing. Not, like, I was like, why, why am I here, man? What are we actually doing? And, you know, certainly at my level, I don't have visibility that others may, that may help with that answer. I don't know. But it's not to discount people's service, but it is to say, hey, we need to take a look at this, not just from the veteran standpoint, how do we, how do we help veterans? Because that is part of it. But we need to look at this from a societal standpoint and understand that, Okay, the John Wayne like going guns blazing is not always the answer, and and this creates issues, systemic issues, not just within our veterans, but on a global scale, right? Like what, like you, Travis, you even said, what good have we done for the Iraqi people? And and I'm not, I'm not trying to answer that question, but I think as society we need to, it, we need to ask that question, and that's what Meat Grinder is is doing. That's what they're, that's what you guys through this project are, are hoping to, to cause people to do is think in a bigger way. Is that correct? Garrett Repikig in, uh, in one of our YouTube videos uh, actually discusses exactly where you talked about, Keith, and, you know, the mission, um, and he compares his mission in Kosovo uh, to his time in Iraq and how he really believed the mission in Kosovo, and it was something he would get behind in the morale of the troops there, and how it was completely different from what he experienced in Iraq, you know, as, as, as a scout, an army scout. Um, and, and just sort of that dichotomy between those two, those two deployments and how, you know, you could have one that that could be very easily morally justified and another where you deployed to almost immediately afterwards. And it's the complete opposite of everything you've been sold or told that you're there to do. Um, so, uh, so that was super interesting, even for me to kind of hear those two sides and go, oh, wow. You know, I, just, just talking to this guy, it's, uh, it was incredible. Just to, just the things that he was saying, you don't, you get so locked in your own 
own bubble within the military and those people are your friends. And, you know, oftentimes you don't just hear experiences of people in the military. And you know, that's why podcasts like this are so important. You get to you get to hear those different things, how people are transitioning, what they've done, what works for them and realize that, hey, it's not uh, this is a PTSD program, you know, a, a modality that you need to go through and it's a one size fits all. Um, you know, there's a lot out there. Those are there's a lot of supplements to that. And, um, uh, you know, so sorry, I get off my soapbox here. No, talk for like no it's all good. <laughs> I, would, I would add into, I mean, you know, Tommy and I, you know, saw a little bit of this at home base. We've seen some of it, right? The, the ocean, the universe of suffering and destruction uh, among not only veterans, right, but their families and, you know, to, obviously to all the people. So, we saw that, you know, you know, at home base for sure. Just the, just the insane amount of, of mental breakage that these wars caused, right? The problem, I think we feel like we're in this catch-22. So all that is true. Um, but if you start to talk about why we were there, maybe we should have been, maybe it wasn't fair to these veterans, maybe it's not worth it. That's quote-unquote political, right? And to quote-unquote support the veterans, you don't talk about that, but you just continue to treat them. Well, what do you do with a lot of veterans who don't necessarily feel that way? And one of the things we experienced at home base, right, is that a lot of the defense companies were more than happy to donate many, many millions of dollars and have all the celebrities be there. That's no problem. Uh, the problem becomes, uh, should we, can we talk about why we need a program like home base to begin with? That's question A. Question B is, what is more supportive of veterans than saying, well, the only way I want a veteran or their family to be mentally or physically broken for the rest of their life is if it is literally necessary for our national security or our freedom. And for a lot of veterans, when you tell them, thanks for defending our, our freedom, people like me, I know damn not an idiot. You don't have to be a genius to know that me going over to Iraq had jack shit to do with your ability to do anything you want to do in this country. That's not good for my mental health care, and it's not good for a lot of other vets, too, and it's not supportive of vets. And so we want to give a platform not only to vets who feel that way, but we want to spread the matches and start to re-engage a public uh, who has been brainwashed and fed propaganda uh, into complacency, thinking they're supporting vets, maybe meaning well, but not. But what they're doing, not. So. Yeah, it's well put, Travis. Yeah. Very, very well put. Yeah. Like a lawyer. <laughs> so Case <perfect>. closed. Yeah. Now the military, it's unfortunately, it's um, what you hear is it's uh, it's so often used as a political cudgel for you know, and it really just when you look at the military, it's it's it mirrors the demographics of of the United States. So if you're looking for the way uh, the U.S. population feels, oftentimes you're gonna see that. Mm -hmm pretty pretty similar uh you know statistics there within the military so as travis was saying you know these wars are very unpopular you know the 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 american public along with the u.s uh, military is tired of war uh we want mm -hmm. to fight just wars and moral wars and wars that you know we can we can get behind because you know i uh, i want to be anti-war but i've realized that you know uh, and i'm not speaking for travis here but i the military is necessary, you know. Um, it's, it is a, a total necessity, um, but uh, we need to really talk about these these inconvenient truths that exist within the military in order for any anything to change, you know, uh, in order for things to get better and for us 
to do better globally. Uh, it benefits everybody. Have a more humanistic standpoint, um, not and like I like we were saying, just not use that. Oh yeah, well, oh, well, they're connected here. And when you look at what the Middle East is and all of these interconnected countries and the different rivalries that just last thousands of years, and how each war is, you know, from the uh, you know the different empires to you know how they've transitioned, uh, you realize that oh okay, I learned how to say thank you in Farsi, and now I'm going to fix everybody's issues here in the in this country. Um, it's uh, you know when you look throughout and you get that boots on the ground perspective, you go okay, this the story's not adding up. Let's let's talk about what's really happening. Let's yeah. get these perspectives. Yeah. yeah, I think we could talk. I know <laughs> for hours and hours and. <laughs> You know, part of it is like the irony. I know for me personally, when I see on the news that another country has invaded a, a you know less fortunate country, let's say, and you know, I look at that, and I'm like, man, that's this is brutal, right? They're just decimating this population that can't defend itself, and it has struck me before that I'm like, how are we different, right? And I, there are, I'm not going to say like I'm not discounting all of our actions by any means. But I, I do just, it, it has that, like, I need to look inward, right? And and I think we as a country just need to make sure that that we do wield our our power, our, uh, you know, our, like, ingenuity um, in a positive way that so that we have a positive impact on this world, not just on our country. And, um, you know, we can be a global force for good, right? That's part of our market, part of the DOD's marketing campaign, right? Global force for good. We absolutely can. And, um, and uh, unfortunately, we aren't always. And I think that should be the standard. Yes, we should be a global force for good. And, and that's it, period. Right. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. that means launching a, you know, a drone strike on, on a bad guy. Sometimes that means building a school, but it doesn't always mean both. Yeah. Right. And that's the, and that's the only reason that we should be putting vets in harm's way. I mean, one story I left out was on my first deployment. We were driving a contractor out to our remote patrol base, middle of nowhere. We'd been there a few months. Uh, you know, it had already been, you know, started to get bad. And we're driving this guy out. He's a nice guy. And we just all get to talk and we're all in the Humvee. It's five of us. Can't remember if I was in the turret or in the back. And we come to find out that this guy, communications contractor, like a subcontractor for Halliburton, I don't even remember, but he made about between 100, 120,000, it's 2005 for being over there. For like six months, he works like two days out of the year. We drive him out, drive him back, and we added it all up, and we figured out that he made more than uh, I can't remember the exact numbers, right? But he basically made what we all made, like combined or something after, right? Mm-hmm. And he was not—he was like he—he he was like this is ridiculous, that's wrong, you know. But then you start to realize what he start to realize. Well, how many more of them of him are there? Why is that? And what does that say about it? And you start to open up, you know, kind of a can of worms, you know. I mean, what do you say to a vet, an Afghanistan vet like Tommy? And the reality is the Taliban's still going to run that country when we get out. Whenever it happens, whenever they wrap up the peace deals, it is not going to be a democracy um, that, um, you know, respects and treats women well and that doesn't have, you know, an extrajudicial killings. Um, they're going to get some of that back. Right. And what do you say to an Iraq vet, you know, like me, where, you know, ISIS went through, took over all of our control. And best case scenario, best case scenario, it's a it's a barely functioning pseudo democracy nothing like we said it was going to be going in right and so what do you say to both of our generation of veterans going forward are we going to just keep saying to people like us uh thanks for your service thanks for being here and defending your freedom we just want people to know that a lot of vets don't feel that way and they don't like it when people display kind of that level of ignorance and uh, hopefully this can help change that 
So, so I have, I have a couple questions. One, one question is, what advice then do you give us civilians who do want to genuinely, from our heart, think of that? What, what is a good way to go about that? How do you initiate that conversation? How do you communicate our gratitude? I mean, Tommy was the one, I think, taught me about this. He can speak to it. But one of the big things is, right, people are so scared. They think every veteran's a ticking time bomb and they think they're going to offend them. For a lot of vets, including us, if you just ask us, like, well, how, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? Do you think it was worth it? These are not questions that are going to get a veteran to bite your head off. Some of them might be pretty amazed that you actually care enough to ask instead of assuming. I think that's that would be a huge first step. Huge first step. Let them tell yeah. their how they feel about it. Totally. And uh, I think one of the great, I mean, transition is the pivotal point, right? What what happens during that point? Who's there to support you? What resources do you have at your disposal? And um, how, uh, you know, what's the plan you've set up for yourself? And the reality is there is no plan when people leave the military. Most of us exit the military and are going, woohoo, see you later. <laughs> um, you know, or, you know, on to the next thing, you know, you're excited about the future, but, you know, the the when you're looking at how you actually acquire employment and what it takes and the process process it's you don't under, you don't understand that it's it's incredibly difficult um, I spent almost a year unemployed and you know I got out I was a captain I thought oh where's my job give me my job I was a I was a platoon commander I'm cool you know I, I, I led this many people and this many patrols so that equates to this many sales and this may you know uh, it's just you don't understand it um, so it, providing the support they're asking them how it's going do they have they been connected to their local um you know employment center there's 33 of them across the state of massachusetts um you know and a lot of states do stuff like that um you know different resources as far as like towns each town in massachusetts has a veteran service officer you can call them that person will help you get connected um you know uh Ask them how the transition's going, you know, if there's anything you can help with. And, you know, just sparking the conversation is a good thing. Like Travis was saying, we're always, I'm willing to talk to you. If you want to you wanna hear about anything with my deployment, I'll tell you. Um, you know, we're, we're, like I mentioned before, we're all individuals and we're going to have different perspectives and different experiences. And it's going to be different for everybody. And some of us are going to be lucky and some of us aren't. And some of us are going to have families to go back to. And like like you all and like myself, you know, I had a wonderful spouse at experienced deployment with me and everything afterwards and we're married 10 years later and it's you know amazing relationship what's what what worked what worked for me and um you know which helped having that peer support as well you know i dealt with it it's not going to make you less of a man you know to to seek support if you're having anger issues you know if you're driving uh, is you know is crazy Travis. you know there's yeah right yeah, come on, Travis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. get with it buddy yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's different techniques you can use so it's just sort of redefining um you know this 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 sort of dilemma we have with masculinity and, and being mm -hmm. deployed and and kind of getting over that and realizing okay i'm not hurting anybody but myself and my family if i don't talk to somebody or 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 open up and tell people what's going on you know open yourself up network with people it I have to believe me, we get it. It sucks networking. Sometimes mm -hmm. you're like, I gotta go to this event, I gotta mm -hmm. talk to these people I don't care about mm -hmm. and try to sucker my way into a job, right? So it's like, um, it sucks, but the process is necessary. And a lot of times you need mentors and people, you know, and people can support can, you in that process. It's important. Yeah. People yeah. can, uh, you know, step outside your concert zone. My advice to people too, yeah. be 
you know, it's not about what makes you comfortable, right? If you've got some chicken hawk politician that never served, that is all about going to the next war, maybe you let him know, you know, or her know uh, how you feel, uh, you know, and, and, you know, people need to educate themselves, step out of your comfort zone and educate yourself. So New York Times started doing this at war blog. Yep. Uh, and, and again, when you really look at this, you'll see that there are so many vets that will tell you, um, I was on a deployment that was a meat grinder and I don't think we made a difference and it wasn't worth it. And don't listen to these lying politicians that have never been there. Don't listen to these generals that have not been on the ground. This is what's actually happening. And if people seek that out, uh, it's there, right? The Pew Research poll, we talked about that. Why is it that a significant majority of us Iraq and Afghanistan veterans do not feel that our sacrifice is worth it? Question A. Question B is, why isn't anybody talking about that, right? Mm -hmm. People individually need to rethink what it means to support veterans. When I was on deployment, my mom, uh, no surprise, was a member of Military Family Speak Out, right? They did a peaceful protest every week. People would throw things at them. These are military families with deployed service members overseas. People would, this is in Massachusetts, people would throw things at them and yell and scream and swear, right? Hmm. It is a, it is a, it is something, something is wrong there. Something is wrong. We need to re reset and re-educate ourselves. So we, we appreciate your guys' time uh, for sure today. And the last question I have, and, and maybe Laura will have one more, but um, the last question I have is, so what are the next steps for this project and what do you guys need to complete the, the meat grinder project? Sure. Uh, Shameless plug time. Uh, <laughs> uh, people go to the website, meatgrinderdoc.com, um, and you guys will you know, share it too. Uh, the, the big we really need is um, we need uh, vets. Uh, well, just kind of list them off. We need interested vets. So if you are a veteran um, who's a combat veteran of Iraq or Afghanistan, any service, any branch, you know, any, any gender, any race, we want everybody, obviously, we want to show um, that this 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 perspective among veterans is is universal across the demographic, and, and it is. So we want you to uh, reach out to us and fill out our form on the website to see uh, if we could film you. Um, that's kind of step one. Uh, step two, we're always looking for folks to donate. Right now, we are a three-person project with two of us working full time, one of us an infant and in school too. It's just insane, right? So my aunt <laughs> retired, Katie's retired. She's doing, you know, heavy lifting. And it's this project is going to get to a point where we're gonna have to hire more people um, and we're gonna have to uh, to build up. Um, and so we need funds, uh, we need funds for that. So I would say uh, those two are the biggest thing. And the, the you know, third thing is just sharing it, you know, spreading this among uh, your neighbors. Talk to people. We've had we've had people reach out to us in this project. So you mentioned Laura. We certainly had people reach out to us that we knew and didn't know that said, "Love you guys, but no way." Right? We've also had people reach out to us, and, and you know, they list you know everything about them. We've been like, "Oh my God, we can't believe that someone with this background, right, would want to be interviewed for this." They are out, right? you know, ten deployments, extremely conservative, rah rah rah. Boom. See this film. We've had these folks reach out to us, be like, "I, I'm all about it." And so we need more of those people to reach out to us too. Yeah, it's all about the conversation for sure. Yeah. Well, we we agree with the power of storytelling. That's why we're doing this. That's why we started it a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we agree with the power of, of lo being able to locate part of your story by listening through someone else's, being able to process 
um, and embrace your own healing by listening to how someone else battled through the same things. Um, and uh, there is, there's power in community and there's power in community stories as well. Thank you to Tommy and Travis for spending time with us today, as well as sharing their passion and hearts on this subject. Go to meatgrinderdoc.com. Look on YouTube for Meat Grinder Documentary. You can check out their shorts um, that they've created for the promo for this documentary. It is in progress if you're interested in participating. There's a link on their website that you can submit an interest form. Don't forget to check out our website, homeboundvetra.com. Follow us on our Instagram page to find out how you can get 15% off 15 fathoms. That is a tongue twister. I don't know if Laura gets that right ever. Because I won't get it right. (laughs) 15 fathoms clothing company and stash coffeeco.com. Well done, Laura Galloway. Thank you to Parallel Stereo for the music you are hearing now. And in the intro, that's it for us. Until next time, be well. Own it. Own your journey. (laughs) 